Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us. We're continuing our series called Heroes, and we're looking at how our extraordinary God uses ordinary people to accomplish incredible things. Uh, first week, we looked at Elijah and how false gods promise what only the true God provides. The second week, we looked at the life of Daniel, and we saw how your habits will either cause you to rise above adversity or fall before it. We also saw how when you do what's right, you can always, always trust God with the results. Now, last week we talked about Esther, and we learned that our greatest ability is our availability. Today I want to look at the life and the, uh, really all that God accomplished through a man, Joshua. And we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1, uh, chapter 5, and chapter 6 if you've got your Bibles. And I'm going to open up in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, and it says this. It says, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people. The time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. Let me give you a little bit of context. Joshua, 40 years before, had been one of 12 spies that Moses had sent to scout out the promised land. And two of these spies came back and they said, hey, yeah, the giants are big, but our God is bigger. And Joshua was one of those two spies. But 10 of the spies came back and said, man, the giants are, are big and we are way too small to do this. And, and these two, these 10 uh, leaders and spies kind of led the people of Israel astray, led them into being disobedient to what God was calling them to do. And so for 40 years, they wandered the wilderness. And so this takes place 40 years later. Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, it says, I promise you, God is now talking to, to Joshua, I promise you what I promised Moses, that wherever you set your foot, you'll be on land I've given you. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. Why? Well, is it because Joshua is such a great leader? Is it because he's so powerful? Is it because he's the one with a great plan? No, it says this, latter part of verse 5, it says, For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. When you think about this, it's easy for us sometimes to think that the only way that we could do something great is, is if we be something great. But the reality is, is, that, is that it's not about being someone great. It's about serving the one who is already great. It's not about you being great or powerful or wise. It's about serving the one that's calling you. And so God gives Joshua this promise. He says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. In fact, this is a promise that God gives throughout scriptures. You see it in Hebrews 13 and Deuteronomy 31 and Numbers chapter 23. God is always giving this promise when his people are right on the cusp of a great battle. And so God gives this promise to Joshua to strengthen him. Joshua is about to take on the largest, the most fortified, the most terrifying enemy in the land. And I think when we face battles of our own, I think the dominant emotion that threatens to take over our lives is this, this aspect of fear. But I think understanding God's presence, man, there's, there's something so significant about, significant about knowing that God is with me. It's like it shakes our souls free from the stronghold of fear and it creates this fertile soil for faith to arise even in the midst of the most difficult of situations. And I would say this, that you can tell a lot about your understanding of God by analyzing your own emotions. Here's, here's what I mean. If, if you look at a situation and you say, 
say, you know, I, I can't do this, or I don't see any way that good can come out of this, or the situation is hopeless, there's nothing I can do. What does that tell you? It tells you that your emotions are being consumed by fear. But on the other side, if you look at a situation, you say, you know, you can say this with confidence that my God is with me and, and I can do everything that God is calling me to do. What does that tell you? That you're filled with faith. So I really believe this, that the greater your belief in God's presence in your life, the less presence of fear you'll have in your life. It's really a capacity issue. You can't have simultaneous great levels of fear and great levels of faith. It's a capacity issue. And so God lays out this roadmap for Joshua. I mean, how, would, how do we live by faith in the midst of a great battle? We pick it up in verse 7. It says, God says to Joshua, he says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses, Moses gave you. Don't, do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Did you know that if you're faithful in following God's, what God says for you, did you know that if you're faithful in following, let me say this one more time. If you're faithful in following what God says, then you will always be prosperous in the plan that God has for your life. I didn't say that very well, so let me just, let me do that one more time. That if you're faithful in following what God says, that you will always be prosperous in the plan that God has for your life. It, it may not be fame and fortune and health and wealth, but it will always lead you to this place where God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. See, if you're faithful in following what God says, you will always be prosperous in the plan that God has for your life. And this is the importance of knowing the Bible. It's the importance of getting it into your head, into your heart. In fact, 2 Timothy 3, this is what it says about the Bible. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. When it says that it's useful, it's thinking like, like a profit and loss statement. It, the word for useful is literally profitable. It's always going to keep you on the right path that God has for you. That's the importance of knowing God's word for your life. And so God tells Joshua, hey, you don't need to be scared. I'm with you. Just be faithful with what I've already spoken to you through my servant Moses. You see, you need to go know that God is with you and that he's got a path forward for you when you enter life's greatest battles. And so for Joshua, what's this battle? Well, he's given the greatest leadership task of his life to, to lead this vast multitude of people into hostile territory, starting with the most fortified city in the land. Now we'll fast forward to Joshua chapter 5, and the scene that we're going to look at takes place right on the, the it's the day before the great battle, uh, the greatest battle of Joshua's life. And as you can imagine, I mean, Joshua is pretty nervous here. And he's thinking about all that's going to take place. And this is his, his great, his first true moment of leadership. And so understandably, he's got trouble sleeping. And so he gets up and he takes a walk. And Joshua 5.13, it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And so Joshua is walking around. And all of a sudden, he encounters this guy that has a sword in his hand. 
And so he's by himself. He's in enemy territory. And instead of running away like I probably would have done, he goes right up to him and he challenges him. And he says this. He says, are you for us or are you against us? Are you for us or for our adversaries? And I mean, I think that at this moment, this just ought to elevate Joshua in our eyes. I mean, this is like a man's man. Like he doesn't back down from a battle. In fact, J.D. Greer He's a pastor, and I got a lot of inspiration from him in this message. He said this. He said, Joshua is like the Chuck Norris of Israelites. Some people wear Superman pajamas. Superman wears Joshua pajamas. Death once had a near Joshua experience. And so Joshua, man, he's bold. He's courageous. He goes right up to him and says, hey, are you for us or are you against us? And in response to this question, the man says this. Verse 14, he says, no. And Joshua's probably thinking, that wasn't really a yes or no question. And the man says, no. In other words, he's saying, you're asking the wrong question. And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. The question's not, am I on your side, Joshua? The real question is, are you on my side? Now, who is this commander of the Lord? There's a couple of clues that we see in the text here. The first one is that we see that Joshua falls down before this guy and starts to worship him. And in every other place in the Bible, when somebody falls down and worships an angel, immediately the angel rebukes him, saying, hey, don't do that, don't do that. But this person doesn't do that, which tells us he's not an angel. The second clue is that in the next chapter, that this commander of the Lord's army is referred to as the Lord. What this tells us is that this is what theologians call a Christophany. That this is an Old Testament pre-nativity appearance of God in human form. This is Jesus that Joshua encounters Jesus, that, that in this encounter, he, he sees Jesus. And here's what happens. And Joshua, as he encounters Jesus, fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? In other words, Joshua is no longer asking him whose side he's on. He just flat out surrenders and worships Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How do you see God in your life? I think many people, especially in kind of, you know, United States evangelicalism, many people see God as somebody that, that takes care of them or guides them, comforts them, uh, helps us through tough times. In other words, it's all about what God does for us. And listen, I'll tell you, man, we serve a God and He is a great and loving and caring Father. He wants to do those things for us. He wants to bless us and to take care of us. But it's not about what he does for us. And it's not about him being on our side. He is Lord. And our response is surrender. You see this kind of idea of trying to get God to be on our side. You see this a lot in politics today, especially as we're ramping up for this next election. We're getting into that season that everybody wants to say that God is on their side. That if you're, that if you're a real Christian, you should vote this way. And I would certainly say, man, there's a time that when it comes to policies or procedures or positions, we need to ask how these things reflect the heart and the value of Jesus. But please hear this. Jesus has his own mission, and it's certainly not embodied in any political platform that we may encounter. See, Jesus' mission is to welcome sinners and to rescue the lost and to bring his kingdom. It's not to vote for a political party. And so Joshua shifts from saying, hey, whose side are you on, to simply surrendering before Jesus here. 
And I think one of the most important questions that we can, we can ask is not, is God on your side? It's, have you joined up with his mission and with his agenda? And I think one of the things that makes Joshua a true hero of the faith is not that he did great things for God, but that he surrendered completely to God. Verse 15, it says, The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Now, we don't have time to get into this, but this is so good because if you remember, when is the last time we read this phrase? If you're familiar with the, with the story, the last time we see this phrase is when Moses encountered God in Exodus chapter 3 in the burning bush. And, and he encounters God and God says, Take off the sandals from your feet because this is holy ground. And so this is so significant because God was calling Moses in that moment to lead his people out of Egypt. And now as he talks to Joshua, this is the beginning of the fulfillment of what God wanted to do for his people. And the name that God uses with Moses in Exodus is Yahweh, the Lord. Anytime you see Lord all capitalized, it's Yahweh. And Yahweh means I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, or I am who I need to be. In other words, this is not a battle that God is calling Joshua to fight for him. This is a battle that he's going to fight for Joshua. In the chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the Lord were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho and its king and all of its strong warriors. And, and so he lays out the plan for Joshua. And it's almost laughable. Like this is, the, this is the worst tactical military strategy in the history of the world. Here's the plan. I want you to put the ark in front, which symbolizes the presence of God. And next, I want you to put the priests out there, which I don't know what they can do. Maybe they can sing. And then I want you to have the whole army follow them. And every single day, I want you just to walk and be silent for six days, and then the seventh day, you're going to walk again for seven days, you're going to shout, and you're going to blow a trumpet. That's the battle plan. Like, don't, don't miss how bizarre this battle plan is. This is the greatest battle of their lives against the most powerful enemy that they will ever encounter, and the strategy is to walk a lot and then yell. And so these people, I'm sure they're expecting a fight. They're expecting to take up their arms and, and to do something great for God. And God just says, I want you to march. See, God never tells them why they're doing it this way. He never tells them how the victory was going to be theirs. He just says, keep on walking and then yell what I tell you to and blow the horn. You know, I think in the midst of life's greatest battles, the two questions that, that God doesn't seem to answer for us is how and why. And we want to know, you know, why am I going through this? Or why is this happening? Or why am I supposed to do this? And God doesn't answer that. And so we ask, well, well, God, how are you going to work this out? And God doesn't seem to answer that either. He just says, take the next step. And I think this is a word for somebody that's listening to this today. That you're in the middle of a battle. It could be relational or financial. There's some sort of struggle you're going through and you want the whole plan and you're saying, God, I need all of the details or God, how are you going to work this out? And God is simply saying, take the next step. Just take the next step. And we see in the story they do. And like for many of us, nothing happens. And they do again and nothing happens. And it doesn't say that, you know, the bricks of the wall began to fall gradually or they started to shake just a little bit every day. And, 
You know, I don't know about you, but I need progress in order to stay motivated when I don't know the why or the how. I need some sort of progress here. But here's the deal. Is that what God wanted to do through them was not as important as what God wanted to do in them. What he wanted to do in them was so much better. This was the first of many battles that they were going to face. And, and God was preparing them for the promise that they were about to receive. And so he wanted them to be less focused on the outcome and more focus on just simply being obedient. Because the truth is, is that outcome is God's responsibility. But obedience is ours. Outcome is God's responsibility, but obedience is ours. And so they're walking. And nothing may have been happening to the walls, but I guarantee you something was happening inside of them. You see, God doesn't really need us to accomplish anything for Him. I mean, we know this. God can speak the existence of the world by a simple word. He doesn't need us to do anything for Him. And so what we do for Him is not nearly as important as who we become in Him. And so they walk day one, nothing. Day two, day three, they don't know why. They're just supposed to keep on walking. And I would say probably the greatest enemy that they faced during these six days where they were just walking and seeing nothing happening was not the enemy of the people of Jericho. Their greatest enemy was likely themselves. I mean, what if they had stopped at day six? They certainly wouldn't have seen the victory. I think I would have stopped probably day three. Like, nothing's happening. Why am I doing this? It looks the same. I've been on a diet for two days and I haven't hit my, my, my goal weight. Or I took my, my spouse on a date and nothing has happened in our marriage. Or, you know, I started tithing last week and I'm not out of credit card debt. And we give up short of, and we stop being obedient because we don't see the results right away. I mean, what if we stop at day six? And I would say what derails most of us in being obedient during a battle is that we get frustrated with the lack of results. We don't have all of the details, and so we stop. We don't know how long. We don't know why. We don't know when. And so we give up forgetting that the only ingredient needed for victory is to simply trust God and then just take the next step. And so every day, they walk. Nothing happens. Monday, they walk. Nothing. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they walk. Nothing happens. Saturday, they're the same thing, but they take the next step. And then on the seventh day, on the seventh day, because they didn't give up, because they kept their trust in God, and because they simply took their next step. Listen, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. That word for shout in the Hebrew language is the word ruah, and it means a battle cry. It means a cry or a shout of triumph. See, before they saw the victory, they shouted in victory. And I would say that sometimes for us, we need to shout the victory before we see the victory. We say, we say, I can see the victory. I can see it and I can see the walls crumbling and I know the battle belongs to the Lord. We begin to shout the victory long before we even see the victory because our trust and confidence is in God. And because they shouted the victory, listen, suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. And I hope that you hear this today, and I hope it comes out loud and clear today. This was the worst battle tactic ever. Like, it should not have worked. Just walk and shout. But the reality is, is that God didn't need their strength. God didn't need their great battle tactics or their wisdom. He just asked for their obedience. 
See, the only ingredient that you need to see the victory that God has for you in your, in your life is just to simply trust God and then take the next step. And so let, let me ask you today, right where you're at, what's the next step that you need to take? What's the battle that you're in the middle right now? What's the battle that you're in relationally or financially? What's the battle you're in emotionally or spiritually? What's the battle that you're in? And then what's the one small next step, obedient step that you can take? See, my prayer for every single one of us would be that we would have the courage to trust God no matter what battle that we're facing and that we would take the next right step.